James chapter 1, verses 1 to 8 this morning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all liberally, and abrideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Father, this morning we thank you for a compelling text. It is obvious that we would not be of those so named double-minded, divided in loyalty, those that are loving and expressive towards you one moment and not at all the next. And yet we judge our own hearts as fickle. And we pray that you would help us today to understand the particular kind of wisdom that is promised here, that we might navigate the days of life and the path of life with the very sense of calculated joy and perseverance of which the text speaks. Thank you for each one that is here to hear. Bless our study in this hour, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. During the reign of King David, the sons of Issachar are reported to have had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 1 Chronicles 12, 32. I imagine the nation of Israel in this hour could be greatly benefited by such a group of men with insight and discernment for national decision-making and direction-setting. I do not have to imagine that this nation of ours could be greatly benefited by men of governing wisdom, but the sad truth is men, such men as wise men, are rarer than veins of gold to be found in your backyard. Wisdom is the great need in civic life. Wisdom is the great need in business life. Wisdom is the great need in family life. And for us, wisdom is the great need in church life. But often, we do not find the wise in any of the realms of life in which we see need.
but rather we find the otherwise. You likely already know that this scripture draws a sharp contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. You likely already know that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have a unique calling and access to godly wisdom. You might not be aware that wisdom in this context is a particular non-generic thing. In this epistle, at this particular juncture, we would have to define wisdom as the application of the principles and the promises of God's word in times of testing. The application of principles and promises of God's word in times of testing. Today we're going to work with the third imperative in the opening series of imperatives directed exclusively to the children of God under difficulty in the will of God. Difficulty in the will of God. I know some of that. Difficulty in the will of God. As a believer, you likely know some of that. Here is wisdom, the application of biblical principles and promises to life when believers indeed are facing times of testing. James makes it crystal clear that believers are diversely tested under the supervision and control of their all-wise God during the days of their earthly sojourn. Believers are therefore to, verse 2, count it all joy when their faith in God is tested and tried. It isn't a joy to be tested. Just ask any student, and they will tell you, no joy to take a test. It isn't joy to be tested, but believers are to count it joy because testing, according to the scripture, is part of God's process that produces endurance, produces patience, produces perseverance. James exhorts God's children to let patience have her spiritual studying work, verse 4. And so upon the imperative, count it all joy, verse 2, and the second imperative, let patience work, verse 4, comes now the third imperative, ask God, verse 5, ask God. This ask of God is predicated upon the recognition of need in a time of testing. If a child of God lacks wisdom to apply the principles and promises of God's word to a time of actual difficulty, they are assured of God's wisdom for the asking in real time. We are compelled to take just a quick moment this morning to address again the fact that this guarantee of wisdom 
uh, and wisdom being secured is in no way generic. It is a specific wisdom for applying the truth of God's word to the circumstances of earthly life as believers. Has nothing to do with unbelievers. Has nothing to do with general civil life has nothing to do with decisions in business life. It has to do with the uniqueness of a believer's life before the Lord in a time of difficulty. And how God, for the asking, will bring the principles and the promises of God's word to bear in a life, in real time, for the navigation of one's way forward in the will of God. This is a wonderful and specific promise that can easily be uh, uh, negated by nature of its understanding in the terms of generic. And I just stress again, there's nothing here uh, generic about it. Uh, but some of the crazy things that you will uh, hear people say, they'll say, I went to the car dealer, I need a car. I went to the car dealer, there's a Chevy, there's a Ford. And I said to God, God, the Chevy, God, the Ford. God, the Chevy, God, the Ford. God, the Chevy, God, the Ford. And just that time, a raven flew over my head, and it was black. And, uh, and, and, uh, and so I, I took that as a sign from God that I should buy the... Would it matter what I said? That is just goofiness. Absolutely. I stood at the McDonald's sign, chicken or beef, chicken or beef, chicken or beef. What should I do? What should I do? Oh, God, what should I do? Chicken or beef, chicken or beef, chicken or beef. We take such a generic approach to the word of God that we just negate the truth of it by stupidity. Be careful. Be careful. The Word of God is saying a particular thing here, and it's a wonderful, blessed, precious thing. Don't miss that thing because of your goofiness. Understand what the Scripture is speaking of. It's talking about facing difficulty as a believer and counting it joy. Well, that's a mental exercise that's not easy. It's talking about recognizing that God has assigned times of difficulty in a believer's life uh, to develop us, to strengthen us as to our perseverance and endurance. And that you and I are commanded to let patience, perseverance, endurance do its work. It's godly work. And then in that context, we are being told that if we lack wisdom in this process of interaction with God day by day and in each and every passing moment, that we can simply ask God, he'll help us. He'll give us wisdom for the asking. And the word is liberally, which has the idea of simply. He'll simply give it. Ask him, he'll give it. No delay, no abrading, which has the idea of no kick or aftertaste, no, uh, uh, no uh, uh, come back around and slap you in the back of the head to it. No, just, just got to just give it because you need it. 
in a real moment with a real difficulty. It's wisdom in that context. And so we want to break down as we think upon the aspect of this glorious and precious promise of wisdom for believers. We want to break that down exactly as the text indeed breaks it down. And we say, first of all, that it is a wonderful privilege of being a child of God to pray and to know that you have direct access to God. Prayer is the normal way a child of God on earth gains and maintains his or her faith and hope in times of difficulty. Have you ever recognized how easy it is to forget to pray when things are going good? And how hard it is to forget to pray when you're feeling it? That is a very telling thing. God wants you, God wants me to know how to avail, how to connect with him in an actual moment of difficulty so that our faith and our hope in Christ in no way suffers, but that rather it rises. I read a little thing of my dead buddy Spurgeon about a month ago, and I think I've prayed it just about every day since. Spurgeon asked the Lord to deliver him from the mist of fears and the fevers of his anxiety so that he, by the Spirit, could rise in faith and hope. I love that. And that's exactly what James has in mind here as it relates to the kind of prayer of which God says, I'll answer you every single time you come to me for that. James had just finished telling his audience that spiritual steadiness, this side of heaven, was the will of God for each and every one of us. God wants us to be steady, even under, under I should say, even under the umbrella of difficulty. God assigned difficulty. He wants us to be steady. Paul told the Corinthians that the person that is spiritual discerns all things. That doesn't mean that he knows everything, but that he means he knows how to view the circumstances of life in a godly way. As one of God's children that recognize the lack of this wisdom to correctly apply actual circumstance to Christ-like living, uh, uh, God's admonition to us is just ask. Ask God to help you, and he will. James will soon address wisdom needed to navigate days in the sun. That's coming. James will address the idea of how it is that we should approach God, how we should approach wisdom uh, that is needed to navigate days when, when we're doing good, when things are good, when we're in the sun, uh, when you're healthy, when you're wealthy. But first, James addresses, and you know why, because of the people that he's writing to. But first, James addresses the wisdom that is needed to navigate the days of difficulty. We all must 
bear at various times in the will of God. Our ultimate example, here and always, is our Lord. Jesus did not find it easy nor pleasant to bear the sins of the world. Prayer, Gethsemane, prayer was the means to the appointed end in the will of God for the glory of God. Jesus did not laugh his way through the streets of Jerusalem as he carried the patibulum, the crossbar, until he could bear it no longer. Jesus perfectly and purposefully endured the cross. He let patience have its horrendous work in the will of God. Hebrews says, as most of you know, that Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame. That means that Jesus counted it all joy to endure the cross in the will of God having maintained his perspective by means of prayer. And the way in which our Lord did it is exactly the way in which James, the half-brother of the Lord, instructs it to be done. On that occasion, Jesus told the disciples that if they didn't learn to pray, as he did, that then they would find it impossible not to sinfully enter into the pressing circumstances that they faced. Jesus said, pray that ye enter not into the temptation. They enter not into the sinful side of it by reacting to the difficulty in a way that doesn't glorify God and that doesn't steady you in faith and hope, but makes you a grump or that makes you a, 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 a sourpuss and uh, makes you a hard person to be around. James says, you better be careful. Jesus said, you better be careful. Or else when you come under God-assigned difficulties, uh, you will fail to separate your testimony from sin. And thereby, you'll ruin your testimony. It takes God's wisdom. It takes God's wisdom to navigate the paths of life to the glory of God. It takes the wisdom of God to navigate the paths of life to the glory of God. Secondly, our prayers are to be prayed according to actual promises made. 
this truth is both liberating and limiting. It does cause me to look for promises. It should cause you to look for promises. Because if you have a promise, then you know it's liberating and you can look to it, exercise faith concerning it. If there is no promise, well then, you're going to have to limit yourself. And so prayers according to truth, praying according to truth, is imperative. The old song says, God hath not promised, skies always blue. We knew that yesterday for sure. There is no verse of promise of God directing you to go on vacation in Canada or Cancun. Lord, what should I do? Go to vacation on, in Canada or Cancun? Should I go to Canada or should I go to Cancun? Should I go to Canada or should I go to Cancun? Uh, uh, there's no verse of promise that you can apply uh, to vacation in Canada or Cancun. The wisdom of God gives us uh, uh, a limited uh, uh, perspective of living uh, always and ever under the glory of God. Uh, to the fulfillment of our God-assigned task. The wisdom that God gives is limited to righteous thought. It's limited to righteous actions. It's limited to righteous attitudes. The wisdom that God gives liberates you to deal with all earthly circumstances, be they sweet circumstances or sour circumstances. And to do so to the glory of God and for the stabilization of yourself, and other believers. This wisdom for navigating the path of life is, uh, is uh, uh, an operation, is a functionality that works uh, just as you would indeed navigate the streets in a car or the waterways in a boat. I particularly like that word navigation since I completed a boating course for sailing on international waters. Now, let me be clear, I've never sailed on international waterways, but I did take a navigation course and boating course for international waterways. On-scene channels are clearly marked on maps. And that's helpful, but you cannot navigate the boat in a channel by having eyes glued on the map. And so uh, in this country, it's the United States Coast Guard that puts out both cans and buoys. There's a difference. But they put out cans and buoys to mark the channel way uh, so that you can navigate the channel and find yourself to where you want to go. And in that way of maps, cans, and buoys, you can physically be trained uh, to navigate and read the water, avoid running aground. Likewise, the Bible is like our map, and God, by prayer, places cans and buoys of a spiritual kind that we can navigate the twists and the turns in earthly life for his glory and our good. 
in the map of God's word, in the reading of it, in the studying of it, in the appropriation of it, we understand the lay of the land. We understand where the channels are. And then as we actually operate in the context of life, it's by prayer that we learn to read God's water. And we learn to turn and follow the aspect of the leaning of the Lord as we cry out in real time to God for wisdom. Our prayers are to be prayed according to the actual promises of God. Since my very first day at the First Baptist Church of Elto, one of the verses we've emphasized is Psalm 145, 18. God is nigh or near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. And that last phrase is so liberating. And it's so uh, uh, limiting. Because when you know the truth, then you know how to pray. Lord, I'm thinking about vacation, and I'd like to go to Canada, but I'd like to go to Cancun. And Lord, I don't know, Cancun or, or Canada. Which place would I go where they'd give me all my expenses paid and I wouldn't have to pay anything for my vacation? That'd be good. Where would I go for that, Lord? Well, that's just nutty praying. No promises for that. How can you pray about Canada or Can Cancun? Well, you could say this. Lord, I know that as your child uh, that you could well direct some of your children to Canada or to Cancun. And I'm thinking about vacation in Canada or Cancun. And uh, the truth of the matter is, whether I go to Canada or to Cancun, I want to make sure I glorify you. I want to make sure I do what's right and best for my family. I want to make sure that I honor the principles of your word. I want to make sure that I do what is, uh, what is right before you uh, and not just the aspect of something that's a pure, goofy desire on my part. I tell you a prayer like that, God will give you wisdom. But if all you're doing is holding up two brochures before heaven and saying, oh God, Canada or Cancun, be sure of this. There is no Third Timothy, chapter 1, who says, and when thou goest to Cancuneth, thou will findest there the will of Godeth. There is no verse like that. And there is no Third Timothy, by the way. Although that would be the book I'd write, as you might suggest. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Why are Christians get so goofy? Why don't we just try, treat God like God and treat his word as real and believe it and receive it and live accordingly? That's basically what it boils down to. But one thing for sure, everything in the Bible says that God loves us. Everything in the Bible says that God does direct us. Everything in the Bible says that God does protect us. Everything in the Bible does say that God has his eye upon his children 24-7, 365. Amen? And if we really don't know how to move forward under difficulty, God promises us to give us direction, wisdom to navigate the path. Third thing, our prayer posture is grounded in faith and trusting God. James says plainly, ask in faith, nothing wavering. And just to connect the dots, the only way you can ask in faith, nothing wavering, is because you know what God's word does 
say. Any request of God for wisdom that is not made with a settled conviction that God is and that he is a faithful communicator and that he can be trusted to act according to his faithful communication. Anything apart from that is really not faith at all. We believe that God is, and we believe that he has faithfully communicated. And we believe that he can be trusted to respond to us exactly as he has said. God does not lie. God does not deceive. God does not uh, uh, point you in the wrong direction. And as we'll find out in James soon, ever, God never does that. God never does that. God can be trusted. God is faithful in his communication. And therefore, our prayers ought ought to follow the aspect of our faith. That phrase, nothing wavering or nothing doubting, if you will, does not indicate a weakness in faith, but a lack of it altogether. The illustration that we would use would be a married man and his mistress. A married man has his wife and lover. The mistress would be another completely other, not at all the same. Likewise, faith in God is to be our wedded relationship. And we ought to look to God and trust in God and believe in God's faithful communication to us and pray along those lines. We ought not talk to God like he is unfaithful. We ought not talk to God like he hasn't made us any promises. We ought not talk to God bringing to him some silly lust that only relates to our agenda apart from his glory and goodness. I found it interesting that that in the illustration that could be used for this idea of the waves of the sea, James says, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea. And James, because of who he is and where he lived, was not in all likelihood thinking about the Mediterranean Sea, but he was thinking about the Sea of Galilee. And in that sense, you and I have a tremendous advantage because we live in Michigan and we live very close to Lake Michigan. And do you realize that as many, if not more people, die every year in Lake Michigan as die on the entire eastern coast of America? Have you ever thought about why? Well, when you're talking about the ocean, the sea can get choppy and the sea can get violent and there's their whole riptide thing that you have to 
know how to swim, swim in regards to parallel. But basically, uh, because of the way that the ocean operates, the waves are predictable. The waves come in, wave after wave after wave. And they can be quicker, wave, 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 or slower, wave, wave. But there's a rhythm to the sea. And when you swim in the ocean, if you're at all sensitive to your surroundings, you can pick up on that, on that rhythm. But when you're in Lake Michigan, or where it, when you're in the Sea of Galilee, uh, the wind's coming this way, and sometimes the wind's coming that way, and sometimes the wind's coming that way, and sometimes the wind's coming that way, and a boat goes that way, and a boat goes that way, and the waves are coming this way, and the waves are coming that way, and the things are coming this way, and things are coming that way, and you are literally just like a drunken person standing on a platform because you're wavering in the winds of the lake, or as James says it, the sea. The storm-tossed wave is this way and that, here and there, up and down, all over the place. And God, listen, God refuses to be treated like he's one of your options when you are in the pitch of the sea. God wants you to clearly identify him as your God. Oh God, you are my God. And I call upon you for wisdom in the midst of this chop and pitch at sea. The title, verse 8, double-minded, is literally double-souled, psuke. It speaks of a divided loyalty and commitment. The person is described as perpetually restless and unstable. One of this generation's best Bible teachers, John MacArthur, says, quote, when he goes through a severe trial, he turns to human resources rather than singularly trusting the Lord for answers or he becomes bitter and resentful or seeks no help at all. He does not renounce God, but he acts as if God doesn't exist, doesn't care, or is incapable of delivering him from his trouble. He knows something of God's word and of God's love and of God's grace and of God's providence, but he refuses to avail himself of those divine resources in a time of trouble. That's how MacArthur describes this individual who is double-souled. Those that trifle with God cannot expect to receive anything from God. Let alone the wisdom needed to connect the dots of promise to the actual circumstances of life without a settled conviction that God is, that God is faithful, prayer is no different than buying a lottery ticket. Maurice Roberts, 
observes, quote, it is very clear from the scripture that good men do and evil men do not turn intuitively to God when confronted with troubles. The impatient urge to resign and run away when times are trying is an unworthy response for the sons of God. Quitting, running away, not facing the difficulties in the will of God as the word of God would bid you is cowardly and unworthy of you as a child of God. When we ask God for wisdom postured before him in faith, he will not fail to give it. Philip says, quote, the situation may be desperate and the need for wisdom great. We turn to God, ask for wisdom, and take for granted that God will show us the next step as we navigate the path of life. God physically made man with only one face. You cannot face two directions at the same time. Yet we call a person who tries to have everything both ways, a two-faced person. There's no sense praying if you pray two-faced. You believe there is a God you believe he's faithfully communicated, you need to pray according to truth. And God has promised you that for that prayer, he will grant you wisdom to take the next step. I end this morning by calling your attention to the Old Testament storyline of the prophet Elijah as he confronted the prophets of Baal. King Ahab called all Israel to gather at Mount Carmel for the prophetic showdown. 1 Kings 18 records what Elijah said to the people on that occasion. Listen. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal... Follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Why did Israel not answer Elijah a word? Simply because they had been consistently trying to have it both ways. They had consistently been living two-faced. They would look to whatever pleased them in the moment. They were not committed to following God. They served their own lusts and desires. Sometimes Yahweh fit their agenda. And sometimes Baal fit their agenda. But they were a double-minded people. They certainly could not expect for Yahweh to answer them while being two-faced. Yet, God 
did gloriously answer his prophet Elijah, and that with fire from heaven. Later on in the letter of James, we will confront the fact that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But for this morning, we say to you, ask God. He will not fail to give you what is needed if your heart is indeed poised in trusting him. Father, we rejoice in you. We believe that you are and that you are faithful in all that you do and faithful in all that you've said. And we do pray this morning, according to thy word as promised us, that we might persevere and prevail under difficulty, when difficulty comes to us. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for the clarity. Take your people to our place of residence with a sense of thy peace. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.